0: If you turn your Bibles to Second Kings, uh, we'll try to get through both chapters. We have communion also, so we kind of need to get at it. I know that's not, you're like, we're waiting. Uh, <laughs> uh, yesterday was a great work day, got a lot done. Um, this week is the garage sale. Thursday we'll be setting up. We could use as many hands as possible We'll probably start around 9.30, 10 o'clock here if you want to come help set up tables, get things organized, pick up all the chairs, get stuff that isn't for sale, put in rooms and all that. We need all the stuff from the garage brought over here so trucks are handy, trailers are handy just to make a couple trips. Um, so anyway, Thursdays are set up. Friday and Saturday are the actual garage sale times. Today um, at, uh, at 7 o'clock... We'll be meeting at the pool if anybody wants to come here in town, and we'll be doing baptisms and then swimming until 9 o'clock. So if you're only coming for the baptisms, uh, come to the Maryville Aquatic Center at 730. That's when we'll do them. We're going to give people time to get there, get changed and all that, and play around, do whatever. Then we'll kind of halt everything, get everybody over where we're going to do the baptisms and and so on. If you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've never been baptized and you want to do that, just let me know or just come. And and, uh, I've got two for sure. Um, but we may have more, we don't know. Um, so just let me know or just show up and, and we'll baptize you. So that's today at 7 o'clock is when, we, is when it opens, and then 7.30 are the baptisms, okay? All right, chapter 16. More kings, um, but some really good stuff in these two chapters, but I need to get through them both because they go together. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia. Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Idolatry would permeated the northern nation there. Um, difficult time to be a, a part of the remnant, part of those that just wanted to believe. It was uh, They were surrounded by constant pagan idolatry, uh, which is not how it was supposed to go. The, the, the Bible documents Ahaz as not quite as bad um, um, as the, the other guys in Israel, but definitely didn't walk like David. In fact, to the point where it mentions that he passed his son through the fire, which we're going to read a couple times here. Passing through the fire is child sacrifice. Um, One of the reasons God looked down on this land um, and said, you're going to be evicted. You have 400 years to repent from your pagan horrible practices, and they didn't. And that was while the nation of Israel was in Egypt, giving them that 400-year gap, that time frame to repent. You're walking in the ways of death, but 400 years later, God brings them out of Egypt Evacuates or, or not evacuates, um, uh, evicts the people of that land and moves Israel in. Now Israel is doing the same thing they were doing, or really starting to pick up speed anyway. They're, they don't look any different from the world that they were supposed to be different from. God chose the nation of Israel to set his love on them, that the world might see an example of his love for people and what it looked like to be uh, their pe- or his people and t- for them to to have him as their God, so that the rest of the world would do that. That's what happened in Egypt. When Israel left Egypt, many of the Egyptians went with them. Many of the other nations that were trapped there also went with them. Many people were following the true and living God, which is what God's heart is all the time. It is never okay to leave God in a category like he's got competition I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that as Christians, and I hope this these two chapters really drove it home for me again, but to remind ourselves we are not in competition with Hinduism. We are not in competition with Buddhism or with Islam or any of these. We're not in competition at all. There is no competition. They're all of Satan. I'll say that as strong as I can. There is no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. The true and living God has provided a way For us to get to heaven, it's only through his son, the sacrifice. There is no other way to have a good life. There is no other way. I think sometimes maybe I'm not strong enough on that. But there is absolutely zero hope. All of those religions are a path of death, whereas Christianity is a path of life. those are the two choices we have. Worship the true and living God or worship pagan idolatry. And we're going to see that in these two chapters. Very important to understand that. And so this king passes his son through the fire, which means it's a child sacrifice, that's how far gone he is. He thinks that's a good idea and that that's right and acceptable, and somehow or another that's going to make his life better, which is the only reason people sacrifice their children. We sacrifice them on different altars today. We sacrifice them on the altar of economy, finances, you know, convenience, We sacrifice our kids in a lot of different ways and can't figure out why in the world they're not turning out like you'd like them to turn out. You sacrificed them, just on a different altar. We didn't pass them through the fire, but we did this, that, or the other thing. This guy is going to be held responsible. Every green tree, every high hill, incense is being burned everywhere, and nothing is being done about it. In fact, it's his responsibility to do something about it, and he's not. Then Rezin, king of Syria, Um, And Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, so the king of Syria and the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war. So they've got this alliance going. Israel, the northern nations, the northern tribes, have aligned themselves with a worldly group, Syria, and now they're coming up against others. And they besieged Ahaz, but they did not overcome him. At the time of Rezin, a king of Syria, uh, captured Elath. Uh, for Syria, and drove the men of Judah from Elath. Then the Edomites went to Elath and dwelt there uh, to this day. It's not left vacant. It's not left unoccupied. They got rid of the Judah folks and moved in the Edomites. So Ahaz sent messengers uh, to Tiglath and Pilsir, king of Assyria. I need an ally. So we've got Syria and Israel. Now we've got Ahaz and Assyria, different group, in case you didn't know that, saying, And this is what the king of Judah says to this worldly group. Please make note of this. I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. That is not something that a worshiper of the true and living God says to a man. Ever. These are things you say to your God. I am your servant. I'm your son. Come deliver me. But he's not going to the true and living God. He's going to the world. He's trying to figure out a way around this. Maybe I just need an ally. Maybe I need, maybe, who knows. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent it as present to the king of Assyria. So now he's giving God's money to this king of Assyria to save him. So the king of Assyria heeded him. Why not? It's a like mercenary. For the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it, carried its people captive to Ker and killed Rezin. Now, at this time, meanwhile, in another part of the country, Isaiah is prophesying to the nation of Israel. In fact, speaking directly to this king at this time to return to the Lord. God is always calling people back, always I'm not letting this go. I'm not silent. I've got men on the ground. And they're trying to draw you back, trying to get you back to where you're supposed to be. There are prophets all over the nation of Israel telling them to come back to him. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 3 through 12. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out now to meet Ahaz. You and Sherejab, Shir- whatever, Sherejab, Shahub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field and say to him, here's your quote, tell him I'm telling you this, take heed and be quiet, do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Resin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramalia have plotted evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and trouble it. Let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tebil. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramallah's son. If you will not believe, surely you, you shall not be established." If you do not believe, surely you shall not be established. Believing God's word, following God's word, implementing it in our lives, that's what our camp is about this year, being doers of the word and not hearers only. You cannot be established. I want that to settle. The world cannot be established. My friends and family cannot be established. I cannot be established. This church cannot be established. None of it can be established without being obedient to God. It cannot. There is no other way. They all lead to death, all those roads. Moreover, the Lord has spoken to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it, either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord flat out looks at the prophet and says, no. And then she's gonna, he's going to cry and he's going to whine and wonder why his life hasn't turned out the way it's supposed to turn out. And it gets old sometimes. It's got to for God. If it gets old for us, how must it sound to the Lord? I want to live my life this way. I want to do these things and I want everything to work out. Great, fix it. It's not what we do. It's not how it works. It can't. It leads people astray. It leads people to hell. It sends people to death. And God is not about that. I am about life, he says. I'm about saving you. I'm about doing the best for you. And you're asking me to do something that's going to kill you. No. And like spoiled kids sometimes, We stomp off to our room and give him the silent treatment. It's frustrating. It's got to be. I'm your servant, the king of... Well, the king says. Now, King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath. We're back in 2 Kings chapter 16. The king of Assyria. And saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah, the priest... The design of the altar and its pattern according to all its workmanship. So this guy is on a tour of another country, sees this really cool altar. I mean, we don't have anything like this back home. R- remember what he's comparing it to, the altar of the Lord. This is amazing. According to its workmanship, then Urijah the priest built an altar according to all that the king uh, Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah the priest made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus, so he's on this tour, sends a runner back with the plan, says, we've got to have this. You've got to do a remodel. This is a remodel. We've got to remodel the tabernacle. We've got to remodel the temple. We've got to remodel the way we worship. These guys got it down, man. I mean, this is so much better than that ugly bronze thing we've got sitting out in front of the door. This is going to, I mean, it's nice priest is like, sure. He gets it built before he gets back. So he burned his burnt offering, his grain offering, and he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offering on that altar, that one. He also brought the bronze altar, that old one, that one that was designed by God and given to the nation of Israel as a mock-up of what it looks like in heaven. I mean, it is divine in inspiration and in construction and he set that on the north side. It says he took it from before the Lord, from front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the new altar. We want to keep it, but it kind of over there. It's ugly, you know. Sentimental value. Look what he does here. Then King Ahaz commanded Urijah the priest, saying, "On the great new altar, burn the morning." burnt offering, or yeah, burn the morning burnt offering, and the evening grain offering, the king's burnt offering, and his grain offering with the uh, burnt offering of all the people of the land, their grain offering, their drink offerings, and sprinkle it on the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. You use the new altar. And the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. That's, that's really only the direct line to God we have, so we've got to keep it. <laughs> So keep that, but we're going to do the the new altar over here. Oh, does that not just show sometimes our life? I'm going to worship God this way, and that's going to be great and all that, but yeah, I know the Bible's where he speaks. Do that. Um, I sometimes get pictures, or guys will do, pastors will do things from their office, you know. Um, whether it's a video or something like that and behind them inevitably is what bookcases because that's all we do is read and read and read and glean and learn and learn and bestow our wisdom upon the people right there it drives me crazy. I want to do a video with a huge bookcase and just have a Bible sitting right there and have empty shelves and say there's a groundbreaking new book um here it is you know and pulled off the shelf I pulled that from that's a movie quote by the way, but it's It's true. You could have a stack of books, a stack of self-help, the entire section of Christianity over here, and you've got the Bible over here, and I guarantee you this has way more than all of that combined. This over here is someone's regurgitated understanding of this over here. That's all it is. I'm animated today. Can you tell? Oh, I got fired up reading this. Convicted fired up. So you're just reaping the benefits of me getting, well, taught this morning by the Lord. (laughs) Please understand, I'm not pointing fingers at anywhere but myself. But I want you to understand that it's that serious, you know. I want that old altar around so that I can inquire by the Lord, thus, Uriah the priest said, thus did Uriah the priest, according to all that the king Ahaz commanded. I, I know how God speaks, I know how he worships, but this is just so awesome over here. And King Ahaz continues his remodel, cut off the panels of the carts and removed the layers from them, And he took down the sea from the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on the pavement of stone. It's a little too tall. Couldn't see the altar. You know the brass slavers there, and the, you know, you got the order there. Let's drop that down a little bit. Changing things. These were not. These aren't things they get to change. They're just not. These are things that God gave specific instruction on and direction from. We don't have that authority. But he takes it upon himself, took it down, set it on the stone, and he removed the Sabbath pavilion, which they had built in the temple, and he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord on account of the king of Syria. Of Assyria. Interesting. Because of them. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Chapter 17. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigned nine years and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. But not as the kings of Israel who were before him, Shalmaneser, whatever, king of Assyria, doesn't matter how to pronounce his name, he's a foreign king, came up against him, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to sow, king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him and bound him in prison. So. This guy's trying to find a new buddy and got caught. Okay, so he's in jail. That's the, that's the gist of it. Now, the king of Assyria went throughout all the land. and that's, This is the end of Israel, by the way. They're going to go into a captivity now for 250 years. And so they're being evicted from the land, the northern tribes, being taken out. And they're being relocated to a new group. These are one of the first death marches. They've been doing that forever. So these people are all on their march. They've got to be moved to another part of the land, another part of the world. And the idea behind that is people don't fight near as hard for somebody else's property. You just don't. We've discovered that in many wars, I think, as a nation. We get over there and we're on their home turf. It's tough. Tough going. And likewise, if anybody showed up here, tough. You know, ain't a whole lot of us that would give up. And so they know that. So we're going to relocate them because they have nothing to fight for. We don't have to fight for their land. So they move them out while they're in this state of weakness. So um, now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land, went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and by the harbor, the the river of Gozan uh, and in the cities of the Medes. So they take their... Long, long walk. And many, many people died along the way, I'm sure. Um, That's just how those situations go. And nobody cared, obviously. We, you know, we need water. We don't care if you make it, you know, is the idea. We're just removing you. And the less of you, the better, um, is the idea. Now, what I wrote here, and what God was speaking to me during this, this is a death march. Is this a forced death march? Most would say yes. Or is it a choice? I say it's a choice. The choice was made years before in not worshiping the true and living God. They went down the path of death that God had warned them not to go down, but they went down it anyway, and they find themselves walking on this path of death, the conclusion of their decision. It is a choice. You cannot choose a path other than God's life path and expect to live. He gives it very clear. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, and they all knew this, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. God's hope is they choose life. They didn't. And they're surprised. Woe is us. Why is this happening to us? Why am I going this way? We sacrificed Our kids passed them through the fire. We did what we wanted to do. We lived the life that we wanted to live, and we're surprised that we're that we're on this death march. You know, I'm saying this. I'm preaching preaching to the choir because you're here this morning. But we have to understand that our decisions that we make are going to have an outcome. There's seeds that we're planting in our garden, and they will bear fruit—good, bad, or ugly. It's unavoidable to say that there's another way other than what God just is to go against the Lord. It's to go against his word. He couldn't be more clear. He's not using legalese. We use legalese, don't we? To find loopholes and to find ways around being obedient to God. Well, this is kind of obedient. It's a round rob. He doesn't. I call heaven and earth as witness are witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. It is up to you. It is up to us. Many of us wish that wasn't the case, but it is. We freely choose this path of death or we freely choose this path of life. Verse 7. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they had feared other gods and had walked in in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they had made. Also, the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars, wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. There they burned incense on all the high places, like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. I don't want to belabor the point, but God told them what not to do, and they did it. And here they find themselves. In this place. Jeremiah chapter 18, you don't have to turn there, it's another scripture. Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 35, continually this prophet Jeremiah is telling them at this time, turn, 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 don't, don't, don't. God's faithful witness of just that silent bronze altar off to the north is sitting there as a witness against them. As a high priest who's been doing this a long time, when this remodel took place, you have to wonder, you know, how many times did they look at that bronze altar and feel really awkward about what they were doing. How many times did it take for that sacrifice to happen before they didn't feel concerned about that bronze altar on the north? Because I think you can become desensitized to it. That first time offering on this new altar, and I don't know about this. What do you think about this, Aaron? I don't know. It's what he says. It doesn't feel right to me either. And there's that conversation that takes place, that conviction. But three weeks later, four weeks later, bronze altar's got some dust on it, really not paying attention to it anymore, kind of pass it by. We can do that in our lives as Christians. We can set, away, set apart the things that God used in our lives that he warned us about at the very beginning when we first got saved. These are things I want to change in you. These are things I want to move you towards. I'm conforming you into the image of my son, Jesus. Salvation isn't enough. It's enough for heaven, but it isn't where God wants to leave us. Saved, but sinning. I've saved you, but I've also saved you from a life of hell, a life of death. I want to take you in obedience over to where you should be enjoying it the way you're meant to enjoy it, you know? And as we say no, and we say no, and we say no to the Holy Spirit, it gets easier and easier and easier until finally we've justified it in our mind. This is just a bigger altar. It just makes sense. That's a tiny little altar. It took us all day long. It was a tiny altar. It wasn't big enough. It wasn't pretty at all. And we had to cut animals up and had to keep rotating the sacrifices. I mean, I wasn't getting home till 8 p.m. at night sometimes. This altar is great. I mean, I can get like 12 families done in 15 minutes. Somehow or another, we get it in our minds. We've, this is okay. This is okay. Until they're evicted and on this march. Verse 13. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. God is faithful. He's faithful to keep calling us and warning us. Nevertheless, they would not hear but stiffen their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant That he made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters and went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. That's why they got brought in. That's why Israel was moved in. So they left all the commandments of the Lord, their God, made for themselves a molded image and two calves. What is it with the calves? guess they're neat. I don't know. Made a wooden image and worshipped all the hosts of heaven. They served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and moved them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. I mean, it's a sad story. But history repeats itself if we don't study it. It repeats itself in my life if I don't study this stuff. If I don't remind myself, oh yeah, this this path that I thought might be interesting to travel down is a path of death. Even though it doesn't feel like a path of death at first, even though it's subtly eating away and I'm really not noticing much, like a frog in that pot of water that's slowly warmed. The end is death. If the world seems to know how to handle it, the world seems to be okay. They seem to be doing all right. I mean, they sacrifice their kids on the idol. We don't word it that way, but we watch other people sacrifice their kids, and we—they're okay. Kids are—they're yeah, all right, you know. Turned out, they turned out—they turned out okay. How do you know? You know, God's word says they're not turning out okay. Well, yeah, but the gods that we serve now say that if we sacrifice them to Baal, if we pass them through the fire, that there there's going to be a blessing for our other kids. You know, it's and, and there's economically, and it's going to be better, and those kids are going to be taken care of too. It's a sacrifice to this new god, and he's going to take care of them in the afterlife, and and somehow or another, in our minds, we're like, it's going to be all right. I don't know what that wooden idol looks like in my life or in your life. I mean, I don't want to, but you could put specifics on it. We could give examples of these things, but only God and only the Holy Spirit can show you that. What is stealing away your worship from the Lord in your life? What causes my eyes to not want to do the things God has called me to do? What is the world enticing me with? What is pleasing to my flesh? What really gets me going? That causes me to walk away from the Lord. That's an idol. That needs to go. It needs to be cut down. It needs to be chopped down in your life. It needs to be thrown in the fire. It needs to be burned. Not put in a closet for later use until life gets better, because that's what's happening here. They're going to cry out, Oh God, oh God. And they're keeping the idols around. You can't do that. They've got to go. What do I do now? I'm on this death march. I find myself on the path of death. I realize that now. What do I do? You turn around. That's what repentance is. We turn around and we go the other way. 20 miles down the road, 100 miles down the road, 1,000 miles down the road. It doesn't matter. Turn around and start walking back. Immediately walk back to the Lord. Repentance. Also, verse 19, Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David and they made Jeroboam the son of Nabat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all the servants of his prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. Then the king of Assyria brought the people of Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and from (laughs) Sepharvaim, and place them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. Wait, right? You You think about them being taken captive, but you don't think of it the other way around. We're going to move in these other groups now into your land. This is our land. Not today it's not. Not today. And it was so, at the beginning of their dwelling there, that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them. These are the new inhabitants. They got moved in. So packs of lions are roving through these people, which killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria into Israeli territory, they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them. And indeed, they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. That's how they think. You're the God of the hills, you're the God of the valley, you're the God of the sky, you're a God of the sea, you're a God of this area here. Okay, what does this God want? So they would have to travel with this, like, how to please the God handbook. We're in the mountains, and what does he want? Oh, he needs that. Okay. We're in the God of Israel, we don't know what to do. Lions are killing us, and he's going to be mad until we appease this God. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, send there one of the priests, whom he brought from there, let him go and dwell there and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt at Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. You I mean, talk about God working in mysterious ways. It didn't work, unfortunately. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made Every nation in the cities where they dwelt, and the men of Babylon made succoth and the men of Cuth made Nirgal, and the men of Hamath made uh, Ash, Ashmah, and the Avites made Nibazah, I mean, come on, and Tartak and the uh, Sepharovites burned their children in fire. What is it with that? How is that making sense to any of these people? It just blows me away every time I read it. How is murdering babies okay? But they're so accustomed to it. They're so used to it. Eh, it's their choice. To Adramalek and to Anamelech, An- An- the gods of Sepharvim. So they feared the Lord. And from every class, they appointed for themselves priests and high priests who sacrificed for them in shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods. I mean, that is both chapters in a nutshell, right there. That one sentence. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods. And you cannot expect blessing from that. But they did. They expected blessing from it. Yeah, we we know God is the only true God. He's the only true God. But this is really good for my health. So I bend and stretch in specific positions to make myself better. I know it's Hindu, but I'm really not doing it that way. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods. Yeah, but I can worship God anywhere. And on my boat is where I see the Lord the most. Call it what it is. Quit pretending you're worshiping God out there. You're not. According to the rituals of the nations from whom they were carried away, to this day they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law and commandments which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. They used to be deceivers. He tried to make them governed by God and did for a while, but they weren't with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them saying, and here's his charge, you shall not fear other gods nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear him. You shall worship and to him. You shall offer sacrifices. And the statutes and the ordinances, the law, the commandments which he wrote for you, you shall be careful to observe forever. You shall not fear other gods, just in case you missed it previously. And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods again. But the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. None of this would need to happen if they were doing what he just said in that one Statement right there. You don't have to get allies. You don't have to make treaties. You don't have to get other groups. You don't have to make your military stronger. You have to do what he's called to do there. Him you shall fear. Him you shall worship. Him you shall offer sacrifices. And no others. You don't get to add him. It's just him. And I'll take care of all your enemies. However, they did not obey. But they followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. Rough. (laughs) Final passages, 2 Corinthians 7.10. Before we take communion here, for godly sorrow, which is what God is trying to produce with this captivity, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, But the sorrow of the world produces death. It's the part that says, and not to be regretted. When Jesus saved me and changed me and is conforming me, but there was a moment in time when I was a born again believer, when it happened, there was a moment when I realized I am a child of God. Oh my goodness. He fills me with his spirit. Everything changed in my life. There was a point. I had known God my whole life. I had worshipped. I had sang songs to God. I had gone to Sunday school. I colored the pages. I knew the stories. But I was not a born-again believer. It was only until I became a born-again believer at that point in time when I was like, whoa. Like lightning. Everything. Now, he's been conforming ever since. But I have no regrets about that moment. I have no regrets about the path that he set me on. I have no regrets about all the U-turns I've made in my life to follow after him and to walk away from the things of the world that I've been convinced and told to believe my whole life. Godly sorrow produces repentance, which is a change. If there's no change, then there's not godly sorrow. There is simply the sorrow of the world, which only produces death. Man, this is horrible. I hate my life. Then do something about it. God gives us a path to take so that we don't have to hate our lives. God gives us a path of life, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness. He gives us that option. Don't have that sorrow of the world that produces death, but a godly sorrow that produces a change leading to salvation and not to be regretted. This morning as we have our elements passed out, the bread and the cup, that's what this is about. but I have to stop before we eat this and drink this together as a family to make sure that everybody's in the family. Are you a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? Have you had that moment where everything's different? Where you're not collecting Bible studies and knowledge and data, but you're actually a worshiper of the true and living God, and you can feel him and know that he's moving in your life. Is there joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, all these things coming up, bubbling out of you? Because he is that fountain of ri- that river of living water flowing into you, and it should be overflowing your cup automatically. If you don't have that, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, you need to be born again this morning. You need to ask Jesus Christ not only to be your Savior, but to change you from the inside out, to come into your life, to come into your heart, and to renew your mind, and to give you a new heart. A fleshy heart to be different. You need to be born again. And so, although we are used to taking this cup and this piece of bread and remembering the Lord's Supper and what it means, it's not a ritual. It doesn't do anything. There's nothing magical about what we're about to do. Your life doesn't get better. This is not going to, this is a reminder of that born again moment. This is a reminder of he died on the cross for my sins and I literally, well, that's probably the wrong word. (laughs) It is the wrong word. I figuratively applied the blood of Jesus to the doorposts of my heart. I remember that time and that's what this is. I remember that the angel of death is going to pass over me because I've been hidden in Christ. If you can't say that, you shouldn't have this. This morning. Paul goes on to say. Now if you're in that place. Don't set your cup down. Don't put your piece of bread down. Make a change today. Do what is just said in 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly sorrow produces repentance. Leading to salvation. Be saved this morning. Be born again. Receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And enjoy this cup and this bread. For what it represents. It represents today. The day you surrendered your life to God. Guys, Jesus Christ is coming very, very soon, and we can all feel it, and we know it. Now, these things have happened in the past, and things have, it's different. It feels different. Everything about it is wrong. We can all sense it. I don't know why I don't like it, but I don't like it. I don't know why I'm disturbed. I don't know why I'm upset. I don't know why I'm stirred up right now. I don't know what to think or to feel. JC said something to me the other day. It just nailed it. Things are going so fast, I don't even have time to form an opinion. By the time I form an opinion, everything's changed again. Anybody feeling like that right now? Because Jesus is coming. Are you ready? He is coming. He's going to take his church home. We're having camp at a great time. We're having a baptism today at a great time. Please be saved please receive this salvation that God is offering you through his son, Jesus Christ. Please take that. Hold on to it. Grab it. Pull him as close to your life as possible. Ask him to be your best friend, to be your God and begin to worship him. Sing to him, pray to him, read his word. Like it's a love letter to you. Like you've never read it before. Ask him to fill you with his Holy spirit. Be changed. Be born again. That all the bitterness, all the anger, all the thoughts, all the doubts, leave them right here this morning and say, I don't know what to do with any of that stuff, but I do know what I need to do next, and that is to worship you, Jesus. Because you are my only way. You are the only way for the world. Lord, we thank you for this time. We come together as a family, Lord. We're just so very aware, and right now more than any other time in our lives, how important it is to be as close to you as possible. To be walking in your ways, to be obedient to you, to not let you be in the back of our minds, but in the forefront of our minds. So this morning, here we are, worshiping, singing to you, thanking you for what you've done, reading your word, receiving it with gladness. Now, there are some here this morning that may have never been born again, but they want to this morning. They're feeling that tug on your, on their hearts this morning. They're feeling that pull back to you or to you for the first time. And so they're crying out to you in their hearts, Jesus, please be my Lord and Savior. I receive your gift of forgiveness. I repent of my sins, not with, not with worldly sorrow, but with godly sorrow. I turn from my sins this morning. I'm not walking in those ways anymore. I'm burning down those idols. I'm only going to have you in my life. I'm only walking with you. You're all that matters to me now. Everything else is not secondary. It just doesn't exist in my life anymore. You and you alone are worthy of my full attention in my life. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe that with all my heart, that you are the one sent by the Father to die for my sins specifically. And I receive that this morning. I trust in that. I believe that. Lord, we want to be born again. We want our spirit revived. We want to be able to talk to you like we were supposed to be able to talk to you by the spirit to your spirit. Reading your word with understanding, allowing your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide. Taking away all the sin, the backpack that we've been carrying around full of the weight of this world and our sin. We take it off and we leave it here this morning in this room. And we walk out free. We walk out with liberty in you. None of those things hold us back anymore. None of those things weigh us down, God. We thank you for that this morning. Thank you for taking away our sin. We're never to pick it up again. Lord, we thank you for this cup and what this bread represents. Lord, your broken body, the bread, your broken body on the cross, pierced, beaten, bruised for our iniquity, for our sin, for our transgressions. This little cup that represents your blood, it reminds us that it was by your blood that we're healed. It's by your blood, not our blood. The blood that these guys are offering up on this strange altar that was supposed to symbolize you being offered up one day for the sins of the world. We know what that means. We know that you died for the sins of the world at one point in time, past, present, and future. And so as we drink this juice together, as we eat this bread together, we're reminded of your sacrifice for us and how by your sacrifice we're going to heaven that we're saved. And it is the only path of life. There is no other. We love you and we thank you this morning for all you've done for us and are doing for us. Now help us to proclaim this good news to the world in a world that is confused and does not understand what's happening and are scared Help us to show them and tell them. In Jesus' name, amen.